Uh, Pastor John has, has been on vacation this past week, uh, some, some well-deserved time away, and uh, so I have the opportunity to open God's Word to you this morning. And we're going to continue on the series that we've been working through, and that is that series on relationships that matter. If you remember, if you were here last week, you remember that we talked about bearing with one another. And we said that we serve a forbearing God. That is that He is patient with Christians and non-Christians alike, and displays kindness to us even though we don't deserve it. The Bible refers to this as common grace, common grace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says it this way. He, he tells us to be like our Heavenly Father who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Certainly, God holds a special place in his heart for his children, but that doesn't mean that we as well don't need his forbearance. And this last week, not this week, but the prior week, I, I did a three-week uh, canoe trip with a bunch of junior hires, 16 of us, um, and we had a wonderful time as we paddled down the Asabo River for three days. But as you can expect, um, there were many times when, when canoes got turned around, got caught in branches, you know, that we're sticking out in the river as students are trying to learn how to steer a canoe. One of the things about canoeing, it always looks easier than it is. But anyway, beside the point. And there were times where students were tired and they stopped paddling and didn't want to paddle anymore. And, you know, it would have been easy to get frustrated. But the thought occurred to me, these students are in process. They are learning and growing just as I am. I mean, and then I started thinking, you know, how much more frustrating I must be to God when I get tired and when I don't want to persevere, when I get off track and I get caught in sin and self-righteousness and self-dependence. And as, as I was thinking about that, you know, the gap between me and junior hires is not nearly like the gap between me and God. And, and so, man, we all need the forbearance of God, don't we? And, and I was just encouraged by that message last week, even as I thought about coming back from that canoe trip. You know, we certainly have much to praise God for this morning, that we serve a God who is kind, who is patient, who is forbearing. And that is true about this God that we serve. And he's also a God who wants us to grow and to mature. And in Romans 8, 28 and 29, God tells us that he wants to use all the circumstances of our lives to help us to grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. So there's a passage I think we're probably familiar with, and it says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now notice the verse does not say that all things are good, but it does say that God wants to use all things together for good to accomplish his purpose. Well, what is that purpose? Well, the very next verse tells us what that purpose is. It says, for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So what is the purpose for which God has called us? It says that we might be conformed into the image of his Son. And so that brings us to the topic that we want to talk about today, and that is the topic of, of admonishing one another. Admonition is the other side of bearing with each other. It is true that we are to bear with one, one another in love, but, but there are times when forbearance must be accompanied by admonition. In other words, there are divine appointments where God wants to have us do more than to put up with one another. He wants us to take that next step 
by lovingly admonish those who may be drifting into sin or, or may be openly violating God's word and in the process and causing harm to themselves and others within the body of Christ. If the attitudes and actions of a fellow Christian uh, Christ follower are causing others in the body to doubt the credibility of their faith or, or their sinful behavior is leading others astray, then as Christ followers, we have this responsibility to lovingly confront one another. And so that's what we want to talk about this morning is this idea of ad- admonition. Now, first of all, in, on your, uh, your, uh, your sheet there that you have there, the definition of admonish. It means to admonish is to influence the mind and the disposition of others, to influence the mind and the disposition of others. Now, we read uh, Colossians 3.16 already, and it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And so there we have that word to admonish one another. On the one hand, we have this imparting of truth. Paul calls that teaching. And on the other hand, we have this warning of the consequences of our wrong behavior, which Paul calls admonishing. To admonish, that involves both spheres. It's the sphere of encouragement, but also the sphere of correction. The word admonish comes from two Greek words. The one is translated to mind, and the other Greek word is to put. So literally, to admonish means to put into one's mind, to put into one's mind. It refers to the well-intentioned follower of Christ who, by the the means of advice, counsel, warning, and correction, seeks to influence the mind of another believer for the sake of God's kingdom. So that's the definition of admonish. So let's talk about some of the prerequisites, prerequisites uh, for the ministry of, of admonition. If we're to be involved in admonishing one another, what must be true of us? What is it going to take for us to be able to be competent to instruct one another? Well, Paul talks about this in Romans 15, 14, and this is what it says. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. So the first thing we see here is that we must be full of goodness, that we must be full of goodness. Paul here is not speaking about goodness in general, but, is, but goodness that is the direct result of having received the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which comes by faith. None of us are good apart from the grace of God. It's only as God's grace touches us and revolutionizes our lives from the inside out that our lives can be pleasing to God. It's only when we are filled with the goodness of God through the righteousness of Christ, which comes by faith, that we are equipped then to initiate this ministry of of instruction or admonition with reference to other Christ followers. As Christians, we are overwhelmed with God's goodness to us, realizing that we are so undeserving ourselves that it changes our hearts towards others. We want to be involved with an empathetic concern to help, not judge others. So it involves an enthusiasm in life in which Christ is apparent, and therefore we communicate hope to others. So people full of goodness care about other people and have a genuine concern for them. Paul, in in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he leaves uh, Timothy to correct some of the issues that are going on in the church, 
And he says that this is the proper motivation for instruction in helping people. This is 1 Timothy 1.5. He says, the goal of this command or instruction is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. I mean, what is it that keeps us from speaking into the lives of others when we ought? And I want to suggest to you, oftentimes it's fear. It's fear that they're not going to accept what we say. It's the fear of, of rejection by that person. And when we are looking at others, right, to try to give us meaning and purpose in life instead of Christ, that fear becomes real to us, doesn't it? That's why it's so important for us to understand who we are in Christ. We are more loved, valued, and accepted by God in Christ than we ever dreamed possible. Our relationship with God is the one that ultimately should be the thing that defines us. And this is only true because of the gospel. I mean, apart from our relationship with Christ, we are hopelessly lost. We're looking to other things. We're looking to people so that we can try to find purpose and acceptance. But it's only found in the righteousness of Christ that he has given to all who've trusted in Christ as their Savior. He is the one who fills us with goodness so that we can love others as we ought and take what feels like a risk to speak truth into their lives. So I get to ask this question, why is it that we even want to instruct other people? You know, is, is it because we want to be an authority in their lives and get to boss them around? Is it, is it because we want to feel good about ourselves? When the answer obviously is no, that's not why. You know, why do we want to instruct? We want them to help people to grow and to mature in Christ. We want to help them to see, see them draw closer to God and to others because we care, because we care about them. And so I get to ask this question, but do you care about other people? Do you really care? Do you want what's best for them? That's what Paul is talking about when he says that they are full of goodness. The second thing that, that Romans 15, 14, Paul talks out is that we have to be filled with knowledge, these prerequisites for being able to, to admonish. We must be filled with knowledge. Now, does that mean that you know everything? Well, if that were the case, obviously none of us would ever be able to be involved in this ministry of, of admonishing because none of us knows all things. Um, Paul is speaking of one who has allowed the Scriptures to work in their lives and has the ability to take the Scriptures and use them then to solve problems. So back to Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The verse makes it very clear that we need to be involved in each other's lives. We're to teach and admonish one another, but it uses the word, it says, with wisdom. Wisdom is the knowledge of God that is skillfully applied to life. So when we come to church and attend a main worship service like today or maybe a Bible study during the 9 o'clock hour, I get asked the question, what is your attitude about learning God's Word? I mean, what I mean by that question is this. I mean, do you listen and learn for your own personal edification, for your own personal spiritual growth, or do you also listen and learn with the mindset that you will need it not only for yourself, but also that you will need it to be able to share it with others to help them grow. Um, and I know that distinction is a subtle distinction, but I do think it's a very significant distinction. It's the difference between auditing a college class where you are not responsible to do the homework or take the tests and taking a college class for credit where you are responsible, right, for being able to reproduce the information. And depending on the reason that you take the class, you respond very differently with the material that you're learning. 
I want to suggest to you that if God has called each of us to be involved in ministering to others, that we need to learn to listen to the teaching of God's Word with a desire to not only edify our own lives and grow, but also to be able to instruct others with that same truth. I might suggest to you that would be a reason to take notes when you listen to God's Word being taught so that you can refer back to those truths so that you are learning and you can use it to teach others. I once heard the story of a missionary doctor, who, well, uh, he, a missionary who was meeting with a missionary doctor over dinner. And, and during the dinner, the missionary doctor was recounting about the difficulty he had delivering a baby earlier that day. And as he was doing that, he was going into graphic details about the process of delivering this baby and all the ins and outs of it. And this missionary is listening to this missionary doctor, and the thought that occurs to him is like, why in the world is he sharing all these gruesome details? He's ruining my supper. Well, the very next day, that very missionary found himself out in the middle of the jungle delivering a baby of a woman who didn't make it to the medical clinic. Now, I have a question. Do you think that missionary might have listened differently if he would have known the very next day he was going to be delivering a baby without that doctor present? I think so. I think so. You re we realize God's timing is perfect. We just need to make sure that what we are taking, right, that we're taking advantage of all the opportunities that God gives us for us to grow and to mature and to learn so that we are filled with knowledge and then again we can take that knowledge and we can use that to admonish others in their lives. And then thirdly, we, need to be, we, we must be focused upon the Word of God. We must be focused upon the Word of God. Again, in Colossians 3.16, Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, when we approach another Christ follower about some area of spiritual weakness or failing in their lives, the issue is not what do I think or what do we think should be done. The issue is what does God's Word say about the individual behavior or belief? What does God's Word declare? Admonition, apart from the knowledge of God in His Word, is nothing more than hot air and personal innuendo. It's not about our opinions about what we think. Admonition is not something that is to be based on personal preference or opinion. To the contrary, it's to be based on the fact that we are filled with the complete knowledge of Christ. His principles are eternal. Our competency comes from our knowledge of the Word of God. This is what equips us not only with authority, but also with authenticity. Those who engage in the ministry of admonition are to be filled to the brim with God's Word. That is that God's Word must be a burning fire within each of our souls. So we are dwelling on the Word of God, and God's Word is alive in us. And when that happens, we can be part of this process of admonition, that is that we can restore fellow strugglers, right, who are playing with a spiritual fire and they're coming to the brink of, of not doing what God wants for their lives, and so we can help them see the obe what obedience and what it means for them to be responsive to God's Word. And so I could ask this question, I mean, do you believe here today that God's Word is sufficient to deal with the problems that people face? I mean, do you believe that to be true? 
In, in the um, East Bay Calvary Church Statement of Faith has this to say about the Scriptures. It says, The Scriptures, including both the Old and New Testaments, are a divine revelation, and as originally written, are verbally inspired by God. But notice it says, They were written by the Holy Spirit and are final in authority in all matters pertaining to conduct and doctrine. When you ask a question about how you are to live your life, you need to ask, what does God's Word have to say about it? It is our final authority in matters pertaining to our conduct and our doctrine. I mean, a verse that we're very familiar with, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, says all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mean, this verse tells us, I mean, you can see in Scripture that, that enables us to minister to, other, I mean, to others in different ways. It, it says, able to equip for every good work. And it functions in, in a number of different ways depending upon the situation. Sometimes in ministering to people, what's needed is understanding, and the Scriptures are useful for teaching. Sometimes in ministering to people, what is needed is, is correction. The person may be doing a thing that's wrong, and they need to be shown the right thing. I mean, think about it. Is it a gracious thing to help someone see a blind spot in their life? That is some area that they are totally unaware of and help them to be able to grow and change? Isn't that a good thing? Or wouldn't you want to help love people enough to the point that you're willing to do that? Sometimes in ministering to people, they are being rebellious and they need rebuking. Well, you can see in, this, in, in, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says that God's Word is able to do all of those things and do them do them well. You know, oftentimes I may be having a conversation with somebody and I may say something like this, you know, my, my opinion about, about the circumstances, about the things that you're going off, they may be kind of interesting, but really what you need to hear is you need to hear what does God's Word say about your situation. God's Word is perfect. It's true. It's absolute. It is the standard. So those are prerequisites for, for ministry of admonition. We must be full of goodness. I mean, do you care about people and want to see them grow and change? We must be filled with knowledge. Are you able to take God's Word and apply it to the situations of people's lives? We must be focused upon the Word of God. Are you spending time yourself personally in God's Word? And do you believe that God's Word is sufficient to deal with life's problems? The next thing we want to take a look at then is some principles for this ministry of admonition, some principles. So we're going to take a look at seven principles, which I believe can help us know exactly how we are to admonish one another in love. The first one, letter A, is admonition is to be carried out with authenticity. Paul models this beautiful, beautifully in his relationship with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 31 and 32. Notice what it says here in this passage. It says, So be on your guard. Remembering that for three years I never stopped warning or admonishing, that's our word, each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. When Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders, he reminds them of his ministry of admonition among them. Paul was authentic and real. He opens his heart up to them. And as he gets ready to leave, he's been there for three years doing this ministry with them. He warns them that there are going to be dangers. There's going to be false teachers that are going to come in. And he lets them know that he has their best interests in mind. He does not want them to be caught off guard. And so he lets them know that he is warning them. And in this way, 
He's expressing his love for them. Indeed, he reminds them of te- with his tears, which he, said, he says he has shed n- numerous times on their behalf. We cannot warn others who are having spiritual problems or who maybe have stumbling blocks in their lives without approaching them with this love and brokenness. And so when we speak the truth to brothers and sisters who are struggling spiritually, we need to do so with love and concern. Tenderness needs to pervade our conversations. Our conversation must not be hasty and quick. Instead, we need to be genuine and and life-giving. So first of all, admonitions to be carried out with authenticity because we genuinely care and love. Secondly, letter B, admonition is often done one-on-one. In the same passage in Acts 20, Paul makes it clear that he never stopped warning or admonishing the elders, and he expressly says he warned each of you. Each of the elders is so special to the apostle that he, it required that he would give them his individual attention. Now, certainly there are times when general admonition is needed. You know, much of that takes place whenever the, ta- the Word of God is taught, even like in a Sunday school class uh, on a Sunday morning in small groups and even like a service that we are having right now. So in a general sense, you know, admonition is taking place. But there are certainly times when we are led by the Spirit of God to speak to others individually about attitudes or actions in their lives which are out of sync, in which God's will and purpose, you know, speaks to them. And when we do that, this is not to be done in a public setting or shared with other people. No, we need to take people aside, and we need to have personal conversation with them. So admonition is oftentimes best done one-on-one. Letter C, admonition is to be shared with honorable motives. Honorable motives. Paul, in his correspondence to the, the Corinthians in, in chapter 4, reminds them all um, that he has gone through because he's, he's being called into question as an apostle. And so he does that to counteract these various factions that have sprung up in the body. And in 1 Corinthians 4.14, this is what Paul says. He says, I am not writing this to shame you, but to warn you or to admonish you as my dear children. I mean, Paul doesn't communicate his heart to the church to embarrass them, or to try to you know, one-upmanship one on them. Rather, he counsels them as people that he dearly loves. He wants what is best for them. His motives are pure. There's no manipulation or, or behind-the-scenes maneuvering that's taking place. He considers them far too precious to resort to that kind of, of behavior. And so our admonition needs to be with honorable motives. Letter D, admonition is to be communicated with patience. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says this, And we urge you, brothers, warn or admonish those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with them, with everyone. To be patient with everyone means exactly what it says. And that is, sometimes we wish that we could correct the faults of others overnight, but we have to be patient with those whose faith is weak. Indeed, we must build strong friendships or relationships with them before we lovingly admonish. If the only time we ever speak to those whose faith is weak is when we're admonishing them, our admonition doesn't, won't mean nearly as much. The degree of success we experience in admonishing others is directly proportional to the relationship that we have built with them over time. You remember Paul's experience with the Ephesian elders of which we've just spoken. He says he invested himself for over three years with them. His words of admonition were not this hit-and-run variety. To the contrary, he patiently admonished them day 
and night for a significant amount of time. And during that time, he was involved in their lives. He built relationship with them. When they needed encouragement, he gave them encouragement. When they needed you know, admonition, he gave that to them, and he, quite, he patiently corrected them to keep them on track so that they could become all that God wanted for them to be. The ministry of admonition is intended to be a part of our everyday living. Let me say that again. This ministry of admonition is to be part of our everyday living. Unfortunately, what oftentimes happens is we don't want to have those hard conversations with somebody, and so we continually put them off and put them off and put them off until the, the, you know, the issue has grown such that we have to deal with it. Um, but that is not the ideal which the Scriptures would teach us about this ministry. Letter E, admonition is to be spoken with kindness. Continuing on in that passage, 1 Corinthians, or Thessalonians 5.15, Paul says this, Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. To always try to be kind means that we are looking out for that which is good in others as opposed to that which is evil. And Paul employs, employs he uses a painful word here. He uses the word always. Always. In other words, there are no exceptions to this. When it comes to the ministry of admonishing others, we are to not act out of retaliation, but only out of concern for the good of the other. We are to admonish them so that they can grow and become better because of it. We are not to admonish to try to destroy them. We admonish them for their good, for their further development as men and women made to be new in Christ. In letter F then, Admonition is often best begun by asking good questions. You realize that Jesus asked more than 300 questions in his ministry. Confronting and admonishing others can be hard. And again, most people do not like it, and if you like it too much, that may be another issue. Most people don't like to do it, and therefore asking questions can be a great way to get started. By asking good questions, we are not assuming that we have all the facts. It allows you to begin with a conversation. It communicates to the other person that you want to understand them. You want to understand the situation and what is going on. You know, it's been said that generally accusations harden the heart, but questions soften the heart. So asking good questions along with the use of the Scriptures can allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that only He can do of hoping helping people's eyes to be open so that they can see blind spots in their life. The goal of asking questions is to help them see themselves as they truly are and to help them then to see God in the midst of that situation. And then lastly, admonition is to be aimed at, uh, the aim is restoration. It's to be aimed at restoration. In, in 2 Thessalonians 3.15, Paul says of a sinning brother, Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn or admonish him as a brother. That talks about our tenure, our, our, the, the way we would treat, the way we would go about that. I mean, those who are in the church at Thessalonica are so caught up in this anticipation of the second coming of Christ that they stopped working. And so Paul is warning, he's admonishing, he is talking to them about that. So in 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12, this is what Paul says. For we hear that some among you are idle, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn 
their own living. I mean, these busybodies, as Paul describes them, would rather sit around and make idle talk than do manual labor. He instructs those within the body of Christ to disassociate with these individuals in order that they might feel ashamed. But he's also quick to point out to the body that they are not there to make sure they do it with the right attitude. They're not to regard them as enemies, but to warn them as though they are brothers and sisters in Christ, which they are. In, in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul reinforces this principle to believers at Colossae. He says it this way. He says, we proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing, there's our word, admonishing everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Restoration and completeness in Christ must always be the goal to which we strive as we admonish one another. If we admonish a brother or a sister for any other purpose or goal, we're missing the boat and our counsel, our, our counsel offering won't be received. Indeed, we, we can do great harm if we only come to other people um, and we're not speaking words, right, of, of, to try to strengthen and bless. We're not to admonish in anger or with an attitude of trying to set the record straight or to put the person down, but rather to encourage our brothers and sisters to go on to greater spiritual maturity and growth in their walk with Christ. We admonish them with the goal then of restoration, not to get rid of them. Now, I realize that's not always able to occur because it takes two people for restoration to happen, but that needs to be our motivation. That needs to be our goal. That's why we are admonishing is because we want this relationship, if they're right, these things to be restored. So thirdly then, the people, who are the people to be involved in this ministry of, of admonition? The people who are to be involved in this ministry. Generally speaking, all people, all of God's people are to be involved. All of us have this responsibility. Gene Getz in his book, Building Up One Another, makes a statement that I believe puts things into the proper perspective. He says this, There is no greater sign of love than to be willing to risk rejection and broken relationships with others. And if admonition or if, if admonishment is done in the right spirit, with the right motive, using an appropriate method, the person who is not living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ usually senses the risk you are taking. Though that person may have difficulty acknowledging at that moment, deep down he really knows. Someday he will probably thank you for your love. Paul speaks about the fact that members of the church should consider it their responsibility to warn the unruly or warn the idle. So again, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, which we already looked at, notice it says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. But he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn others. The idle, in reference to those who are neglecting their daily duties and falling into foolish habits, because of their, meaning, their expectations of the second coming of Christ. They've kind of checked out. And when other members of the body of Christ see that, Paul encourages them that to stir them up, to encourage them to get back at work, to get a job and live for God. <clears throat> it is true that Jesus Christ is coming back that does not mean that we're not supposed to be engaged and be working in the meantime. 
And so Paul's admonition here, as, bro- as members of the body of Christ, when we see symptoms of spiritual problems in somebody else's life, our first response ought not to be to call the church office and tell the pastor that they know somebody that he needs to talk to. Our first response should be, right, that we need to get engaged in that person's life. Um, and, and, you know, the fact that we are the ones who actually see the issue and are aware of the, of the difficulty, we see the misstep, that's an, I would suggest to you that that means that you, or the, who that, whoever that person is, need to be involved in that and help to restore them to meaningful relationship with God. The fact that you're the one who noticed that spiritual problem, I would say is God's directing in your life that you need to be part of the corrective solution. When you think of ministering in this way, I mean, you think, what kind of thoughts come to mind? Oftentimes, we don't feel competent, do we? Um, Oftentimes, we're very, very hesitant to engage in this kind of ministry. But I want you to notice what Paul says about ministry competence. This is in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. This is what Paul says. Now, if anybody seemed qualified, you'd think it'd be Paul. Look what he says. He says, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. A number of years ago, when I was in, in graduate school, I was taking a class on preaching. I remember having a conversation with one of my professors about this very subject, and I remember telling him how very totally inadequate I felt to do what I'm doing right now, and that is to stand up and preach. And my professor's response was, oh, that's great. I am so glad to hear you say that. And I remember thinking, I don't think you heard what I said. I I remember thinking, this is a lousy place to be. And then he went on and he said this. He said, the reason that's a really good place to be, he said, is because it keeps you dependent upon your Savior. He said it's when we feel adequate in and of ourselves that we get ourselves into trouble. When we are involved in this ministry of admonition, you and I need to remember that there is a Savior and it is not you and me. We do not change anyone. Only God can change a heart. But by the grace of God, he has called us and invited us and given the privilege to be involved in this ministry. We are to point people to Jesus. It is not easy to confront another Christian, right? I I get that, about a problem in his or her life. Admonition is often neglected because of that. But think about it. To know that somebody loves you enough, right, to point out a blind spot, something that you are not aware of in your life, is that not a great gift that is of great worth? If you have a friend like that in your life that you know will speak the truth to you, even though it may be hard, aren't you glad? And that's the ministry of admonition. That's what God is calling all of us to as brothers and sisters in Christ. If our motivation is pure and honorable, and if we are seeking to admonish a person in order to fulfill God's will, not because we're just so ticked and we've had just about enough of this, I mean, that's not the motivation, right? Then we, if we have the right motivation, we love this person, we want what's best for this person, we want to help them grow in Christ, 
we can have a calm and a peace knowing that we are walking worthy and doing exactly what God wants us to do, even though it's hard. So living out this, this ministry of admonition then, influencing the mind and the disposition of others towards God and godly living is a relational connection that is painful but cannot be ignored. Influencing others is one of God's ways of changing lives. And that is what God is all about. Never underestimate the responsibility and the privilege. The responsibility and the privilege of being people influencers. Let me just conclude with this. You know, the Great Commission, which all of us have been called to, you know, go into all the world and make disciples, which is the idea of evangelism, right? Sharing the good news of the gospel so people can come to know Christ. But the Great Commission doesn't end there. It continues on and it says baptizing, right? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is publicly identifying ourselves with the fellowship and being involved and engaged in the fellowship. But it doesn't end there either. It goes on and it says teaching, right? Teaching people to be able to obey all that I have commanded you. That is what all of us have been called to. All of us have been given the great commission. And so I could ask this question, who are you discipling? Right? I mean, if all of us call, we all should have people we're discipling. Whether that's unsaved people that we're winning to Christ, whether that's fellow believers that we want to help to grow in Christ and get involved in fellowship and grow in a relationship and grow in spiritual disciplines, but also helping people to teach them, right? All that I have commanded you. And when we have people in our lives and we see that they are struggling and they are failing and they are not succeeding as it relates to walking with Christ, this ministry of teaching is part of it, but this ministry of admonition is the other part of it. We need to come alongside, right, and help them and see, hey, you know, you're you're, you're not quite making it here. You're failing. And why do we do that? We do that because we love. And so that's what this one another ministry is all about. And we just bear with one another if we want to come alongside and admonish and help people to truly grow in Christ. And that's part of what it means to be a disciple maker. And that's what God's called us to. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are patient and kind with us. Lord, I, you know, if, if you unveiled to us all the areas that we, we fall short in, in our lives all at one time, we would be so overwhelmed, we would be so discouraged. And you certainly could do that, but Lord, you are gracious with us. You are kind with us. Lord, you are patient with us, even as we talked about your forbearance. But Lord, you are certainly one who is engaged in helping us to see our sinfulness. Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin. You've given us the Holy Spirit to help us to understand the Word of God so that we can see Christ and we can see where areas that we aren't like Christ. But God, thank you so much that you do that one, two, three steps at a time. And God, we thank you as well that you've given us this privilege to be part of this ministry. Lord, to come alongside our brothers and our sisters and help them as well to see when they get caught in sin. Lord, when they are struggling and they have blind spots and they just don't see it, but we do. 
I pray, Father, help us to love people well. Help us to love people and be willing to engage and say, and I, I, you know, Lord, we know we struggle with fear, the fear of man, the fear of rejection. And I, and I pray, Father, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that in Christ we are fully accepted in love, regardless of what other people say or think, Lord, that that truth would so empower us and so overwhelm us that it, we would be motivated, Lord, out of that to want to be instruments in your hand. So I pray, Father, give us grace, help us. Lord, help us not to be stupid about it, but Lord, help us to truly do it out of love. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.